<laughs> this show has explicit language and mature themes. Let's check to see if that lick will be here. Explanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Durandale. Hey, David. Hey. How's it going, Dex? Good. So this is like kind of a first for the show. I told you last week what this episode yeah, would be about. Yeah, full disclosure, I know what this one's about. I haven't done any additional homework about it at all or anything, so it's going to be more or less like any episode, but I did know what this one was about. So what are we learning about? Schrodinger's cat. Schrodinger's cat. All right, so this is how it's going to go. We're going to do a quick review of last week's episode, then we're going to talk about Erwin Schrodinger, and then we're going to talk about his cat. Okay. Poor cat. Yeah, that poor cat. I mean, half the time it's a poor cat. Yeah. Um, last week, we were talking about the double slit experiment and how it shows that light and electrons and some molecules behave as both a particle and a wave. Um, and the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics holds that the electron or particle is literally everywhere before it's observed or interacts with the physical world. Right. It is a wave until you observe it, and then it acts like a particle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And while it's in that position before it's observed, it's said to be in a superposition, which is something we didn't go over last week. So being everywhere at once is called being in a superposition. Right. A quantum superposition. Yeah. And the, a state of superposition cannot be observed. Right. Yeah, because as soon as you observe it, it collapses down to a single position. Yeah, the wave function collapses. Yep. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about Erwin Schrödinger. He's a Nobel Prize winning physicist born in Austria in 1887. And uh, he's a pretty fucking big deal. He's uh, considered one of the founding fathers of quantum theory. And he wrote about pretty much everything to do with physics. Like, he wrote about color theory, statistical mechanics, thermodynamics, and general relativity. And uh, he won a Nobel Prize in 1933 with Paul Dirac for his work formulating wave theory, which is fundamental to quantum mechanics. And that's known as Schrodinger's equation. Okay. The wave equation. And uh, he's commonly known as the father of quantum mechanics. Really? Okay, wow. He was an all-around physicist. He was just like... He, yeah, he knew exactly. a lot of stuff. He must have had a lot of math. Yeah. Um, so in 1927, he left a job at the Friedrich Wilhelm Institute in Berlin. Um, he was the successor to Max Planck, who worked there before him. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but he left in 1934 because he wasn't all about that Nazi shit going on. Gotcha. And uh, he went to Oxford, but they didn't like the fact that he lived with his wife and mistress. And, at the same time? <laughs> yep. And he had an illegitimate <laughs> child from his mistress. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of really didn't like him. And, uh, after that he ended up turning a jo- turning down a job at Princeton, probably also because they didn't approve of his love life. Interesting that that was such a big deal. Yeah. It was a real big deal back then. Um, fucking prudes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do what you want. It's your life. Exactly. Just <laughs> worry about the guy's science. Yeah. That's where you're hiring him for. So yeah. Uh, after turning down a job at Princeton, he went to teach back in Austria in 1936 um, after dealing with like visa issues and problems with tenure and shit like that, 
But while all that stuff was going on with problems with his tenure and trying to figure out where he was going to work, he kept getting like tons of job offers from everywhere. But the problems with his visa were like holding him up. And uh, while all this was going on, he had an extensive correspondence with Einstein. Mm. They were uh, like over the course of years and years, they were writing letters back and forth. Okay. Yeah, they uh, they both had problems with the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics. And uh, Einstein, in one of the letters, mentioned that an unstable keg of gunpowder, after a while, will have a superposition of being both exploded and unexploded. Okay, and that's where the seed was sown. Yeah, and Schrodinger took it even further and wrote about what is now the famous Schrodinger cat thought experiment. Right, yeah, just to be clear, there's a thought experiment only. He never actually did this to a cat. No, no one, no, <laughs> nor, no one has. Nor, yeah, nor did he have the technical capacity to actually do that at that point in time. I mean, if I were going to write it, it would be a baby and not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> just take it further yeah. down um, the ethical road. <laughs> so here's what, here's, what he, here's what Schrodinger's cat, the thought experiment is. You put a cat in a steel box. Also inside that steel box, you put a tiny bit of radioactive material and a Geiger counter. And it's just enough radioactive material so that in an hour, there's an equal chance that the, an atom will have decayed as not decayed. The Geiger counter is connected to a little hammer placed above a glass bottle of cyanide or some other poison. And if the Geiger counter detects a single atom decay, the hammer will smash the glass, killing the cat. Right. Mm-hmm. And so until you look, the radioactive element is in a superposition of being both decayed and not decayed. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. It's in and so, yeah, it's, it's like the way it's the wave function all over again. Like you, you, it, you have to expect that it is both decayed and not decayed until you actually observe it, at which point it collapses into one of the two states. Yeah. And uh, so at that point, the cat's experience becomes entangled with the experiment. Right. And so the cat itself is in a quantum superposition. Not its atoms necessarily, but the state of the cat is in a quantum superposition. The cat can be said to experience wave-like properties. Yeah. So the cat, before you open the box, is in a superposition of being both alive and dead. Right. With a 50% probability of each when you open the box. So only when you open the box does the superposition collapse and you see either a dead cat or a cat that is alive and well. Yep. At which point, hopefully, you take it out and not rerun the experiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you might have to do it nine times because cats have nine lives. That's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's. Gonna, I don't think he thought about that. Yeah, the cyanide is just going to yeah. be inhaled and then excreted. Catch up, Schrodinger. <laughs> <laughs> over here telling a dead dead Nobel scientist. <laughs> <laughs> to learn more about cats' lives. Yeah. Um, so uh, He wasn't a biologist. Uh, actually, he was. Was he? Jeez, <laughs> yeah. oh, Pete. This guy was just a regular <laughs> Renaissance man. Yeah. When uh, when he got really too frustrated with the Copenhagen interpretation, he kind of in- abandoned a bunch of stuff and started writing about biology. Okay, interesting. Yeah, he he basically everything. What a smart dude. Like color theory and everything. And uh, so Schrodinger actually intended to show the absurdity of the Copenhagen interpretation with this thought experiment. Oh. Um. And Einstein replied to his letter about, like, where he explained the Schrodinger's cat. Einstein replied, You are the only contemporary physicist besides Lau who sees that one cannot get around the assumption of reality if only one is honest. Most of them simply do not see 
what sort of a risky game they are playing with reality. Reality is something independent of what is experimentally established. Their interpretation is, however, refuted most elegantly by your system of radioactive atom plus amplifier plus charge of gunpowder plus cat in a box, in which the psi function of the system contains both the cat alive and blown to bits. Nobody really doubts that the presence or absence of the cat is something independent of the act of observation. Right, exactly, and that's what always kind of bothered me about it because I didn't understand that that's what he was attempting to establish, that it was a debunking thought experiment um, and not a proving one. That, like, just because a particular probability exists, I couldn't imagine that the cat was actually in a quantum superposition it's an entire animal. Yeah, At any exactly. point, regardless of whether you have observed it's, it, its fate has been sealed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what the whole Schrodinger's cat is about: is to, is is uh, like bring the que- it begs the question: When does quantum mechanics break down and classical mechanics take over? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and that is a really good question. Like we experience a reality that is more or less devoid of a lot of these quantum mechanics. In more recent times, we've been able to create larger molecules, um, and even like large enough molecules that are observable with the naked eye that exist in a quantum superstate. Um, but like it, it, it does beg the question. Like you said. Yeah. If we if this is the truth, why don't we experience this on a day to day level? Why is it that classical physics mechanics like Newtonian physics? Mm. Why is it that they they explain most of what we actually observe? And as we talked about last week, even things as large as buckyballs, like with uh, atomic size of ten thousand, yeah, like even they have been shown to exhibit the wave function. Yep. Um. Like, where does it stop? Yep. Yeah, why is it that larger physical objects, ones large enough for to us to observe uh, classically, don't exhibit these properties when all of the constituent parts that they're made of apparently do or are supposed to according to um, yeah, I think, experimental conditions? I think, uh, yeah, exactly. Why? I don't get it. Um, <laughs> so, Magnets. Uh, how do they work? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ICP, best band ever. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, this episode is going to be short because it's an addendum to the last episode. It's yeah, kind of which a, is why I was allowed to know what it was because yeah. I kept bugging and bugging last episode to and bring it up Schrodinger's been cat. On there. I just wanted to look into Schrodinger a little bit more. Um, so yeah, like, uh, I mean, that's all I got on Schrodinger's cat. We could return to it a little bit if you want to clarify stuff for our audience um not so much because i don't really understand i i mean it really illuminates a lot for me to understand that it was meant as a debunking thought experiment that really helps me out a lot because before that i just didn't i couldn't wrap my head around how you could be so obtuse as to believe that That the cat cat actually actually was yeah both alive and dead to me it seemed like no, it's just a matter of perspective. Like the cat has already observed the experiment well, and, and it itself knows uh, well, either that it is alive or, you well, know, is dead and doesn't know anything anymore. And so, like, it seemed so pompous well, and the cat to believe itself is an observer. Yeah, exactly. The cat itself is an observer. Just because it can't record its experiments or understand the nature of them doesn't mean that it's not observing 
the universe in a uh, at least semi-conscious yeah, fashion. That's why I think it should be a baby. <laughs> <laughs> because if it was a baby, it like then it would be easier to be like, ah, oh, that is consciousness. Um, but that's actually brings up like uh, what's called Vigner's friend. Um, and Vigner's friend says, okay, you open the box, but and you are the person who is the observer, but who observes you? Oh. And so at what point do, does the observation actually matter? And if you have an observer who's observing you, that person has to abs- have an observer. And through that train of logic, you end up only getting to God. Oh, interesting. And that, okay, interesting. I really like it. Like I brought up last episode. So like a lot of a lot of these um, theoretical physicists were in fact deists and not atheists. Yeah. And I brought up how uh, like- Schrodinger in, was an atheist. Was he? Okay. Yeah. And I brought up how believing in physics, especially on a deep mathematical level, does not in any way entail that you're not going to believe in God. Like it, it was- there's nothing mutually exclusive about these ideas and it uh i want more people who have a strong faith to feel comfortable understanding scientific notions knowing that it does not at all in any way shape or form conflict with faith yeah exactly you can be religious and scientific yep absolutely and And in fact i think that's where a lot of religions are headed also i'd like uh, being more accepting of scientific truths and also i'd like uh scientists and people of like scientific or atheist with scientific and atheistic notions to be more accepting of people of religious. Exactly. Because that's the other thing too. There's nothing less rational. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I wanted to bring this up. There's nothing less rational about believing in God than not. So like what uh, every human I've ever met is actually highly rational, regardless of whether I disagree with their beliefs, because the difference is, is that you come with a core set of assumptions and you have to base your rationale on those core set of assumptions. I have faulty assumptions. There are assumptions I have that I know not to be true. I value life inherently. Mm. That's not a core value of the universe. It's a core value of myself. It's a false assumption about how the universe works. And I base my rationales, my humanism, my my, um, emphasis on human rights and civil rights, I base it on the false assumption that... um, it's better. That they they matter. Yeah, that they actually ju- matter. A, that your value judgment is true. Yeah, and so I base a rationale off of that. And believing in God and then basing a rationale off of that is no less rational. You yeah. always have to start with some faulty assumptions about the universe. Mm-hmm. That you are, in fact, a conscious being, that you have free will, whatever it may be, you have faulty assumptions. Um, and regardless of whether they turn out to be true, they're still just assumptions. You mm-hmm. don't know that for a fact. You just have assumptions, and then you base a rationale off of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was a good discussion. This Schrodinger's looks- cat. Schrodinger's <laughs> cat. <laughs> uh, so anything else you want to talk about, Schrodinger's cat? Uh, no, no, I think no more I got God my two stuff. cents in. We're done with God stuff. Okay. All right. So <laughs> that's it for this episode. The Explanations is recorded at Rap Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. If you want to support this show, check out patreon.com slash Dexplanations. I love everyone who already does, including Alexis, Ben, Susan, Kevin, Linda, Simone, Derek, and Nick. Oh yeah, or consider leaving a review on iTunes. Likely we got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or if you want to clarify something we went over, 
Hit me up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at Dexplanations or comment on Instagram or the subreddit. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. You're the only thing that's making the show grow, so please tell someone to subscribe. Also, if Dexter doesn't want me to say this, he can edit it out, but I just wanted to tease the fact that our Patreon supporters are about to get a physical gift, a physical show of our appreciation pretty soon here. Yeah, uh, I got some uh, beer coasters printed for the PodCon. They look cool. I'm going to send each of you five. Um, (laughs) Hand them out to friends. I mean, if you don't want them, you don't use beer coasters a bunch, hand them out to friends. And then when they ask you what it is, you can tell them about the show. Yeah. Um, Oh. 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 And as for you, (laughs) you really seem to be taking care of yourself. I'm happy about that. Bye now. Oh, and we're still going to the PodCon. (laughs) (laughs) Now hit it, John.